Happy hauntings, horror fans, and welcome to this week's episode of Megan's Murder Movies. I'm your host, Megan, and this week we're diving into X. A cl- I, like, I want to say a classic, but it's not been out that long. But yeah, it's it's not been out that long. It is absolutely phenomenal. I actually saw this one in theaters for my birthday because it came out like early April or late March of 2022 and my birthday's early April. And so that was what I wanted to do for my birthday is my mom and I went and saw X and it was everything that I hoped it would be. Um, Big Ty West fan, super excited to see Maxine. I'm hoping we get a trailer or something for that soon. Uh, But yeah, Super excited to jump into this one. Can't wait to do Pearl on the podcast. So yeah, without further ado, let's jump into a summary. A group of actors set out to make an adult film in rural Texas under the noses of their reclusive hosts. But when the elderly couple catch their young guests in the act, the cast find themselves in a desperate fight for their lives. The Rotten Tomatoes on this, the critics gave it 94%. 100% spot on. Audience is 75%. I get it's not for everybody, but I'm with the critics with a 94%. This movie is amazing. I have rewatched it so many times. The soundtrack, holy hell, so good. Mia Goth is great. Of course, Brittany Snow, like she's amazing as Bobby Lynn. She's probably one of the characters in a lot of horror films that I watch that I'm like, I wish she would have lived. Like, I wish Bobby Lynn would have survived because she's so great. You can't hate on Jenna Ortega either. I mean, she's amazing. Martin Henderson as Wayne, it, the whole cast, I think it was perfectly cast, super great. And you cannot be mad about Kid Cudi playing Jackson. Like, just phenomenal, amazing. But we'll get into the cast breakdown in a minute. Weird to watch. So right now this is streaming on like Showtime or any Showtime extension, which you can have on like Hulu or Paramount, I think are the two, where you can have a Showtime add-on. I have Showtime add-on on Hulu so that I can watch specifically Yellow Jackets, um, but also not bad that I can watch X and Pearl as well. You can also rent it or buy it on Amazon or Google Play. So I've already mentioned most of the cast, but we can jump into a cast breakdown and we'll start with our main character, Maxine, um, who also plays the role of Pearl, which I don't know if a lot of people realize that, but Maxine, played by Mia Goth, also plays the elderly woman in the film Pearl. Mia Goth is an English actress. Following a brief stint in modeling as a teenager, she made her film debut in the erotic art film Nymphomaniac in 2013. She gained further recognition with films such as The Survivalist, High Life, Suspiria, and Emma. She achieved a career breakthrough in 2022 when she starred in the X slasher film series installments X and Pearl, and she has also starred most recently in Infinity Pool, which I just watched a few days ago for the first time. Holy hell, that one? Bananas. I mean, Alexander Skarsgård, amazing. I had heard such great things about it. I did not expect what the film actually was. I don't even think I saw a full trailer for it because I wanted to just like go into it and go into it and experience it. Amazing experience. Mia Goth's amazing. I would see her in anything that she's in. Next, we will move on to Lorraine, who is played by Jenna Ortega, and Lorraine is RJ's girlfriend, partner. Jenna is an American actress, began her career as a child actress, receiving recognition for her role as the young Jane in the CW comedy drama Jane the Virgin. 
Her breakthrough role came in portraying Harley Diaz in the Disney Channel series Stuck in the Middle from 2016 to 2018, for which she won an Imogen Award. She played Ellie Alves in the second season of the thriller series You in 2019 and starred in the family film Yes Day in 2021. She received critical praise for her performance in the teen drama film The Fallout in 2021 and went on to star in slasher films Scream and X. Scream 6 and she starred as Wednesday Adams in the Netflix horror comedy series Wednesday. Then we will move on to the lovely and talented Bobby Lynn Parker, who's played by Brittany Snow. And Bobby Lynn is one of the actors in the film, and she is kind of maybe loosely dating the character of Jackson. But Brittany Snow is an American actress. She rose to prominence after appearing on the CBS soap opera Guiding Light from 1998-2001, for which she won a Young Artist Award for Best Young Actress and was nominated for two other Young Artist Awards and Soap Opera Digest Awards. She then starred on the NBC drama series American Dreams from 2022 to 2025, for which she was nominated for a Young Artist Award and three Teen Choice Awards. She's appeared in various films, including The Pacifier, John Tucker Must Die, Hairspray, Prom Night, Would You Rather, and the Pitch Perfect film series. She was in Bushwick, Hangman, Someone Great, and of course, X. She also appeared on the NBC legal comedy drama series Harry's Law in 2011 and on the Fox drama series Almost Family from 2019 to 2020. Snow made her directorial debut with Parachute, which premiered at the South by Southwest Festival in March 2023. She's the co-founder of the Love is Louder movement, a project by the not-for-profit Jed Foundation dedicated to stopping bullying in schools. Then we have the role of Jackson, who is played by Scott Miss Cuddy, also known as Kid Cuddy. And Scott is an American rapper, singer, songwriter, record producer, actor, and fashion designer. Booked and busy, big resume for my man. Born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, moved to New York City in pursuit of a music career when he first gained major recognition following the release of his debut single, Day and Night, which he initially self-published on his MySpace page. Of course, the song went on to become a worldwide hit. He has done a ton of stuff, acting, singing, all of these amazing things. Um, he starred in Need for Speed, Don't Look Up, the upcoming crater series on disney plus and bill and ted face the music are just some of his most notable acting roles then we have the role of wayne who is in a relationship with maxine and he's kind of the um producer front showman of the group he doesn't do any of the acting but he does the producing and wayne is played by martin henderson Martin is a New Zealand actor known for his roles in the American medical drama series Off the Map as Dr. Ben Keaton in 2011, the medical drama series Grey's Anatomy as Dr. Nathan Riggs from 2015 to 2017, the Netflix romantic drama Virgin River as Jack Sheridan, and for his performance as Noah Clay in the 2002 horror film The Ring. Then we have Owen Campbell as RJ, who is the director of the film and writer of the film, the film in the movie, not the, the film X, but the, the adult film that they're doing in the movie. He is directing and he wrote it. And RJ is in a relationship with Lorraine. And he's played by Owen Campbell. Owen had lead roles in the films As You Are and Super Dark Times. And on television, he played Jared Connors in The Americans. 
We've got a couple more people to chat about, and the next person we're going to talk about is Howard, and he is Pearl's husband, uh, the owner of kind of the farm that the cast and crew, as you we can call them, are residing in during the duration of the film. And Howard is played by Stephen Yeur. He's an actor known for Lord of the Rings, Return to the Kings, X, and Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Then this one's kind of interesting. So uh, there is, throughout the film, we see this televangelist program playing on the television. And we never get the preacher, pastor, I don't really know what they're called um because i'm not religious but uh is preaching and we don't get his name so he's just credited as the televangelist but he is played by simon prast prast made his television debut in 1983 in the new zealand drama series mortimer's patch in 1987 he returned to television appearing as alistair redfern in the new zealand soap opera gloss in 1992, he starred in the drama movie about the French terrorist attack on Greenpeace boat in Auckland Harbor in 1989. Prass was a co-star in the 1998 New Zealand movie When Love Comes Along. And then the last character that we are going to chat about is Sheriff Dentler, who's played by James Galen. Galen moved to New Zealand with his New Zealand-born wife in 1981. As a blues singer and drummer, he has toured New Zealand and Australia. He's best known internationally for his work on Power Rangers. He starred as Colonel Mason Truman in the Power Rangers RPM and has had a record number of on-screen voiceover roles since the show's production relocated to Auckland. His career has also included other international productions, including Avatar and the Netflix series Cowboy Bebop. So now that we've met our cast, we can get into some fun facts. And so the day after X's South by Southwest premiere, writer-director Ty Rest revealed that during a mandatory two-week COVID-19 quarantine in his New Zealand hotel, before production could begin on the film, he wrote the prequel Pearl. A24 saw the script and greenlit the movie before production on X had even wrapped. He asked Mia Goth if she would remain in New Zealand and film Pearl, and she accepted. And then they essentially filmed them back-to-back. So they filmed X, and then they filmed Pearl almost immediately after, even though Pearl is the prequel. Uh, And so in the film, the adult film that the crew and cast are making is called The Farmer's Daughters. And there actually is an adult film called The Farmer's Daughters, which is infamous because it starred a future acclaimed mainstream writer and actor, Spalding Gray. And I did not watch The Farmer's Daughters for the podcast. Sorry to disappoint. I will not be giving fun facts about that film, if you know what I mean. I don't think we need a detailed scene-by-scene breakdown of the actual Farmer's Daughters. The title of the film refers to the X rating used by the MPAA from 1968 to 1990, which indicated that a film was only suitable for an audience age 16 or older. The idea behind the rating that, unlike the other certificates, X would not be trademarked and would allow filmmakers to release their film in theaters without needing to submit it to the MPAA for an age certificate. Notable films that were originally released with an X rating included A Clockwork Orange, Fritz the Cat, Last Tango in Paris, Midnight Cowboy, and Sweet Sweet Back's Badass Song. In the 1970s, the porn industry would end up exploiting the X rating's lack of a trademark by releasing pornos in theaters with the same rating. Eventually, X became more associated with porn, and more and more theaters started refusing to show films with an X rating, forcing non-pornographic films to be censored to receive an R rating. 
1990, the MPAA discontinued the X rating and replaced it with the NC-17. Unlike X, NC-17 was trademarked and could not be self-applied, but it still meant that most theaters would not show films with the rating, resulting in censorship once again. The name of the gas station and mini-mart at the beginning of the film is a direct reference to Ty West's movie The Innkeepers, which came out in 2011, which was shot at the Yankee Peddler Inn. In an interview, Brittany Snow talked about filming the nude scenes, and she's quoted as saying, I think there was a lot of confidence in terms of our characters, and a part of the nudity came from that confidence that our characters exuded. It almost felt necessary, because not that we were filming porn, but our characters would have been so comfortable with that. Snow then went on to say, this was an exercise for me in feeling confident about my body, and I was pretty proud of myself. So then supposedly when filming the scene of her iconic scream in the basement, Jenna Ortega was hung over after going on a bar crawl the night before with castmate Kid Cudi. Several of the characters' deaths are foreshadowed in various ways. When Bobby Lynn exits the strip club at the beginning of the film, a large mural depicts a blonde woman with an alligator pulling off her bikini is seen on the building foreshadowing her death by an alligator attack. Wayne, in conversation with RJ, tells him that people's eyes are going to pop out of their skulls when they see the adult film that they've made. Wayne later dies by having the prongs of a pitchfork impaled through his eye sockets. Jackson mentions several times that he was threatened by farmers with guns while serving in Vietnam. He is ultimately killed by Howard with a shotgun. The van runs over the entrails of a dead cow early on, and Pearl meets her end when Maxine backs a truck over her body, crushing her head. In addition, when Howard and Jackson go looking for Pearl, Howard mentions that he is worried that Pearl will fall and break her hip. When Pearl fires the shotgun at Maxine, the recoil causes her to fly through the air and break her hip upon landing. Lorraine references Psycho in the 1960 film during a conversation with the group, and later Jackson discovers a partially submerged car in the pond, similar to Marin Crane's car being dumped into the lake by Norman Bates. The film is set in 1979, in the film, there's reference on one of the milk cartons to one of those missing persons ads. However, they didn't start doing that until 1984. Early in the film within the gas station, Maxine references that she wants to be famous like Linda Carter. Wayne then calls her Wonder Woman, telling her to grab some bread. And as he's putting items on the counter for purchase, you see that he's buying a copy of the August 1979 edition of High Society with Linda Carter as Wonder Woman on the cover. So now that we've met the cast and we have some fun facts about the film, we can dive right in to our scene-by-scene -scene breakdown. I am really happy to be doing this one. This one is so good. Um, big Ty West fan. I know I've already done The House of the Devil for the podcast. I can't wait to do Pearl, and I am so ready to see Maxine in theaters. So without further ado, let's jump on in. We open with what looks to be a video camera shot of an old farmhouse. We hear bugs in the background, the camera is fixed on this house, and then we see a police car pulling up in front of the house and officers getting out. The camera shot expands and we see there are a few other police cars in the front yard, and then we cut to the two officers in front of the house. It looks like a bloodbath. One of the officers, who we later learn is the sheriff, walks up, there's a dead body under a sheet. He bends down, checks under it to see the condition of the body, and just stands back up and shakes his head. He makes his way to the front of the house. We see more blood, more body parts. There's an axe by the front door and a dead body right inside the front door. As the officer steps inside the house, we hear a TV playing the evangelical preaching channel, I guess you could call it. Um, and the preacher's talking about staying away from the devil. 
And as the sheriff is standing in the doorway, one of his officers comes to tell him that he needs to take a look at this. The two of the men make their way down into the basement of the house, and his officer shows the sheriff something. And we, and the, we as the audience don't get to see what this is yet. But the sheriff just says, my God. We pan past the sheriff's shoulder, the screen goes black, and then we cut to someone getting their cocaine all lined up, ready to go. This is when we meet Maxine for the first time. She does her line of coke. She's looking at herself in the mirror. We can see she's what appears to be some kind of dressing room. And Wayne comes in to tell her to lay off that stuff, meaning the coke. We see that this is 24 hours earlier. The two of them kiss. They're clearly in a relationship. Wayne then tells Maxine that she's special. There's nobody else out there like her. He tells her to hurry up because everyone's waiting and time is money. He leaves the dressing room and she looks at herself in the mirror and says, you're a fucking sex symbol. We get some upbeat music and then we see an exterior shot of a building. We are in Houston, Texas, and the building is a burlesque lounge and it's called Bayou Burlesque. We see our beautiful blonde Bobby Lynn walking out and then Maxine and Wayne are close behind her. They all get into a van and take off and on the side of the van, it reads plowing service. The van pulls out of the parking lot and the road trip has begun. We see that it is the year 1979. And I will just say, again, the music in this. So good. Who did the, who did the music? So Chelsea Wolfe and Tyler Bates did the soundtrack for X. And I've just got to say, it is one of my favorites. It's so good. I really want to get it on vinyl. I, oh, I just love. I could, like, I have put this movie on in the background just to have, like, the soundtrack music going at certain times because it's so good. Now we are in the van and we see everyone passing around copies of a script and we soon learn that this group of people are setting out to make themselves a dirty movie called The Farmer's Daughters. Wayne is driving, Maxine is next to him in the passenger seat, and then Bobby Lynn is in the back and she is sitting next to Jackson and then toward further back in the van toward the doors is RJ, the director slash writer, and RJ's girlfriend, Lorraine, who is going to help them with sound. She's going to be like the boom operator. All of them are talking, and Bobby Lynn makes the comment that a lot of people pay to see her body, and it would be a sin not to take care of her and her body. She just wants to live the American dream like everyone else. She wants to have a house and a pool and relax all day, and she doesn't think there's anything wrong with that. Bobby Lynn asks Maxine what her American dream is, and she pauses for a moment, looks out the window, but we never get Maxine's answer. We cut to the gas station, and the gas at the gas station is 65 cents. That just is stupendous. Amazing. Could you imagine if gas was 65 cents right now? When I remember my mom and I being in the theater and we just leaned over to each other and we were like 65 cents at the same time as we both clocked that that was the, the price. And oh, I could not imagine. Be so nice. They pull into the gas station and Wayne and Maxine go in to pay for the gas, grab some food, other things for the road. Wayne and Maxine are talking, and he, Wayne's super excited about the ideas that RJ has. He thinks this could bring them in a lot of money, and they won't have to struggle anymore. And Maxine's like, I'm tired of being patient. I want to be famous. I'm ready for the high life. I'm sick and tired of never getting what I want. Wayne says that he's going to make sure she gets everything that her heart desires. And she's like, I have cosmopolitan taste. She wants the whole world to know her name, like Linda Carter. And Wayne says that when people see what she can do, everyone is going to lust after Maxine Minks. Then he tells her that she has the X factor. Maxine sees Lorraine from the store and says she's not sure about how she feels about Lorraine. 
And Wayne's like, she's just shy. She's never met anyone like us. And Maxine's like, well, she keeps staring, and people who stare give me the heebie-jeebies. We cut to outside the gas station, and Bobby Lynn's talking with Lorraine. She says that RJ's kind of cute, and then asks if she helps RJ, if Lorraine helps RJ with all of his films. Lorraine says sometimes, and then Lorraine asks Bobby Lynn if Jackson is her boyfriend. And Bobby Lynn just kind of smiles and says, sometimes. Bobby Lynn then asks RJ why they don't have to shoot the movie in order, and he explains that once he shoots everything, he can rearrange it in whatever order he wants. And he says that he can make it a little bit more avant-garde, like they're doing in France, and it'll give the film an elevated quality while still maintaining the small budget that they have. They get some shots of Jackson filling the gas tank, and Bobby Lynn suggests that they get a shot making it look like Jackson is filling the gas tank with his dick. RJ thinks that's a great idea, and so that's what they do. We go back inside the gas station and Maxine asks Wayne why they couldn't film the movie in Houston and Wayne explains that they needed to come out here because their money is going to go a little bit further. Since they raise property taxes, a lot of the older folks aren't able to make their payments and they can come help supplement a farm somewhere, help an older couple out who's having a hard time and that's just the the easy way to go. We see that the TV in the gas station is playing the same evangelical program that was playing inside the house at the beginning of the film. They got what they needed. They got their snacks. They've got some cigarettes. They've got gas. And they're ready to finish their road trip. Bobby Lynn comes up and asks Wayne for her cigarettes. And he asks her how the script is. And she's like, I don't know. It's all right. Does not matter? And Wayne says he doesn't want to have to wear a hard hat to make a living. And he asks Bobby Lynn if she wants to wear a hard hat to make a living. She says no. And then he gives her her cigarettes. And Bobby Lynn starts kind of joking around, and she's like, Winston's? Like, you got me Winston's. You know I only smoke old golds. And he's like, that's all they had, Bobby Lynn. And she's laughing, and, you know, she's like, I'm going to call my agent. And Maxine's like, get in the van. Get in the van. Bobby Lynn does, and they continue making their way to where they're going. As they're getting closer, they pass some road work. It looks at first like it's road work. There's police cars, and then we see that a semi-truck has hit a cow. The cow has sadly been exploded by the truck, essentially, and the police officers are making the driver shovel off all the dead cow pieces. They pass the cow. They're now pulling into the farm where they're going to stay, and we see the house appears to be on a lake or some kind of pond or reservoir. Seems really peaceful. Definitely appears to be on the middle of nowhere. The van pulls up to the main house, is what I'm going to call it. Wayne gets out and goes to talk with the owner and kind of solidify their stay. Pay the man, all that, you know, all the business stuff. As the producer, that's what you would do. And we see that there looks to be, like I said, a main house and then a farmhouse. They call it the boarding house, um, but I'll call it the farmhouse. Wayne gets out of the car, goes up to the front door, um, but instead of being met with Southern hospitality, he is met with the barrel of a shotgun. We cut back to the van and we see that Jackson and Bobby Lynn are hardcore making out. Lorraine is clearly feeling very uncomfortable and she tells RJ that it's smut and she doesn't like it and he's like when did you become such a prude she's like that's like that's not what i mean i just don't understand why you're doing all of this and rj gets upset and he's like because it's possible to make a good dirty movie and they're having like they're whispering in the van in front of everyone like having this argument maxine is in the passenger seat going over her lines from the script and we learn that the owner of the property's name is howard and he's telling wayne that's private property wayne's trying to explain like we spoke on the phone we were going to write in her farmhouse for a couple nights like i talked to you i'm not here to trespass or disturb you finally maxine clocks what's going on from the car and she gets everyone else's attention and we see that wayne's essentially being held up with this shotgun 
Maxine goes to pull the handgun out of the glove compartment, and Howard is concerned that Wayne is from the county and is basically there to start trouble. Wayne then again explains that he's not from the county, we're from Houston, and we're just here for a place to stay. Howard finally remembers their conversation, and he puts the gun down. Howard says you can never be too careful with strangers, and Wayne's like, you had me pretty nervous there. Howard's like, eh, it's not even loaded, and says most of the time waving it around is all it takes. Wayne says he keeps the same thing in his glove box. The crew is now loading all of their stuff and bringing it over to the farmhouse. And it's a it's a pretty cute, like, it's a decent-sized little farmhouse. Like, like, three bedrooms, I think, at least one bathroom, decent-sized kitchen, living room area. Maxine is getting her stuff from the car, and she looks up in the window of the main house and sees a woman standing there staring out the window. And this woman is Pearl. We get some more exterior shots of the property, and we can get a better sense of how far the main house is from the farmhouse, how isolated everything is, and Howard tells Wayne that they like it that way. Howard seems to be having a hard time making it from the main house to the farmhouse. He has to stop and catch his breath. Wayne checks on him, but Howard says he's fine and keeps walking. Howard says that the farmhouse isn't much, and RJ's like, it's gorgeous. We learned that it was built for soldiers during the Civil War, but the service soldiers never really saw any action. Howard asks Wayne if he served, and Wayne says he's got flat feet. But then Jackson pipes up and says that he did two tours in South Vietnam. And of course, there's a little discomfort with Jackson being the only black man or black person in the group, and Howard clearly seems like he may be a tinge racist. Then we see that Howard is just kind of staring at Maxine, and she's got this little, like, shorts and tube top on, and he's just hardcore staring. And Wayne's like, careful there, you know, you're staring at my fiance. And Howard's like, I don't remember on the phone you saying you were bringing all these other people. And Wayne's like, you're right, you know, but your ass is $30. And I was thinking I could throw in a little extra to sweeten the deal. I hope that's okay with you. Um, You know, kind of hoping that that money will help smooth everything over with Howard. Howard takes the money and puts it in his pocket and says, I don't think I like you, Wayne. Wayne looks a little taken aback by this. And Howard says, I don't like the looks of none of you. My wife is next door, and I would appreciate a little discretion. And then Howard leaves. Wayne says he'll give his word, you know, you won't even know we're here. And then Wayne closes the door to the farmhouse. Bobby Lynn jokes with Wayne, and she's like, you're a stellar negotiator. You really got a knack for business. And Maxine's like, how could you just stand there and let him talk about us like that? And Wayne's like, oh, don't worry about him. He's probably just not had sex in years, and people are going to hate us anyway. And then Lorraine says, he doesn't know what we're doing here, does he? And Wayne goes, oh, wow, you actually do speak. And he Wayne calls her church mouse a couple times throughout the film. Wayne's like, no, he doesn't. And I intend to keep it that way. I don't want to give that old man a heart attack, do you? And then Wayne says it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. And Lorraine does not look happy with that answer. Now we see that Howard is leaving in his truck. And Wayne says it's time to give the people what they want to see. We cut to Jackson and Bobby Lynn having sex. RJ's trying to direct, and he's trying to direct a little too much. And at one point, Jackson's like, why don't you leave the directing to you and leave the fucking to me? Lorraine seems intrigued by what she's witnessing. I think more intrigued by what she's seeing from Jackson. While that scene is being filmed, we see that Maxine has changed her clothes. She's in this, like, large set of, like, overall shorts with no shirt or bra on and these cowboy boots. It's a great look. I could not pull it off. But it's one of my favorites from the whole film. And we see she's still got her bright blue eyeshadow on like she was wearing uh, with her first outfit in the film. The set design of the costume design for this movie are so good. They put Bobby Lynn in this like little red romper and her hair is kind of pin curled. It's so great. They really did such a good job with the costuming. 
we see Maxine taking a walk. She ends up finding the water and she goes on one of these little docks that's by the water. She ends up putting her feet in and she's looking around. Again, super peaceful, really quiet. And then she decides she's going to take a swim. She takes off her boots, takes off her little overalls and jumps in the water. And as she's sitting by the dock, we see that the old woman is in the distance watching her kind of in the tree line. We cut back to the house, the farmhouse, and the scene has ended. RJ and Wayne are talking in the hallway. Wayne is ecstatic. He's like, dude, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. This is going to be great. I love what I'm seeing. And I know other people are going to love it and want to see more of what I'm seeing in there. RJ is really excited. He's like, I'm shooting it like cinema, not pornography, and all of this, you know, film bro stuff essentially but both of them are really excited and then this part's great because wayne grabs rj's hand he's like here feel how hard my cock is and rj just kind of stands there and they just like both kind of nod and then we cut back to the bedroom lorraine is picking up the sound stuff bobby lynn is wiping the cum off her back and jackson is standing naked in front of the window flexing seeming very pleased with the work that he just did and even bobby lynn's like don't stand there like you're all proud of yourself you didn't do nothing and she's like it's called acting Jackson's like, you're good, but you're not that good. And then Bobby Lynn starts fake moaning. She does her little fake moan, and then she just looks at Jackson. She gives him a little smile, and he just looks at her, and she's like, oh, come on, don't feel bad. You did just fine. Come here. And she, like, coaxes him over to the bed. And Jackson sits down, and then he looks at her, and he goes, I think I love you. And Bobby Lynn says, bless your heart. We cut back to the water, and we see that Maxine is just floating on her back, enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the water. Then we get some shots around the water, and we see that there is an alligator. And it starts making its way over to Maxine. She doesn't see it, but she starts swimming towards the dock. And this is a great aerial shot. She's, like, swimming back to the dock. And we see this alligator almost right behind her. It's, like, slowly gaining on her. And the whole time, you're like, oh, my God, is she going to make it? It's like a race against the clock situation. It's so great. But she effortlessly gets out of the water just in time. The alligator must divert because we don't see it, like, try to snap her up or anything. But she puts her clothes on, and then this alligator seems to have just disappeared. Back to the boarding house, they are filming one of the opening scenes of the film where Jackson comes to, you know, this farmhouse and says that his car has broken down and he asks to use the telephone. Bobby Lynn's character in the fake film, you know, in the, in the adult film says that they don't have a telephone, but that he can wait inside for her father to get back and that he can give Jackson a ride to town when he gets back from his errands. And then she invites him inside. Maxine makes her way back to the farmhouse and as she's on her way back she sees the old woman standing on the porch seeming to be watching her the woman raises her hand to kind of say hi and maxine does the same she looks around kind of nervous and then the woman motions for maxine to come over and maxine makes her way over to the main house maxine gets to the front door and the old woman is gone maxine waits at the front door for a moment and then she decides to go inside the house is very quiet maxine calls out for the woman but she doesn't respond Maxine continues to go inside, and at the bottom of the stairs, there are tons of pictures on the walls, like on the leading up to the second floor. We see Maxine continue to make her way down the little hallway on the first floor and into the little dining room area. She's still calling out for the woman. She's like, hello, hello, like not calling out specifically, just saying hello. But again, she gets no response. 
it looks like there are a ton of dirty dishes in the house. It's a little bit dirty. And then we pan and we see this woman standing in the doorway behind where Maxine is. So Pearl is standing in the doorway between the kitchen and the dining room. And Maxine is standing in the dining room. The woman pipes up and asks Maxine if she would like some lemonade. We come back to our group of people and we see that there's a scene in The Farmer's Daughters where Bobby Lynn is giving Jackson some lemonade. And so it's kind of a parallel scene of Bobby Lynn and Jackson having lemonade for their fake movie and Pearl and Maxine having lemonade in real life. Back at the main house, Maxine and the older woman are sitting across the table from one another with their lemonade. Neither of them are talking and Maxine reaches for her lemonade and she just downs it in one gulp. You can tell she doesn't want to be there. She chokes it down. She finishes her glass and she's like, well, I should probably get back because my boyfriend gets fussy. And we see Pearl walking Maxine back to the front door of the house. Pearl stops at the bottom of the stairs and starts looking at all the photographs on the wall. We see pictures of Pearl and her husband Howard when they were first married. And Pearl says that the photo was taken right before the first war. Pearl says Howard served in both wars. Pearl also explains that she was a dancer in those early years, but when the war came, not everything turns out how you expect. We see pictures of Pearl when she's young, and she looks an awful lot like Maxine. Pearl then tells Maxine to look in the mirror. And as Maxine is doing this, Pearl reaches out with her fingers and, like, lightly touches Maxine's skin. But, like I said, she's in these overalls with no undershirt on. And so Pearl runs her fingers, like, over Maxine's ribcage. It's a very intimate area, like, a little too close to her chest. We see Howard's truck pull up and Pearl gets worried. And she tells Maxine that she needs to sneak out the back door so that Howard can't see her. We see Maxine leave the house, Howard goes inside, and they just miss each other. Maxine takes off across the field to get back to the farmhouse. As she's running, she runs into Wayne, and he's like, I've been looking all over for you, it's your turn, go get changed, and she goes to get ready for her scene. Before she gets ready, she does some cocaine, gives herself her little pep talk, and says that she's a sex symbol. And then she says, I will not accept a life I do not deserve, which I have said to myself so many times since watching this film. We come back to the main house and we see Howard has arrived home with groceries, um, but as he's walking inside, he clocks that there are two glasses on the kitchen table, so he knows that someone has been in the house. Now it's Maxine's scene. She comes out of the bedroom, gives Wayne a big kiss, and then makes her way to the barn where she's going to shoot her scene with Jackson. And this is like literally a barn. There's some cows hanging out. They make their way into one of the stalls and they're going to have it set up to make it look like Maxine was milking the cow. And then Jackson came in and they have their little sexual encounter on the floor. A roll in the hay, if you will. We cut from this whole sex scene set up to the main house and we see a couple of really creepy looking dolls. And then Pearl is in her bedroom. She's brushing out her hair, which is very frail thinning she's putting on makeup in the mirror and then we come back to the sex scene between Maxine and Jackson and we can see that while the scene is being filmed Pearl is standing at the window watching and we can see that Pearl isn't the only one who seems to be enjoying what she's watching Lorraine also seems to be much more curious about this or during this second scene then we can see that while Pearl is watching Maxine and Jackson she is envisioning herself in Maxine's role we see the tape stop rolling, and they're done for the evening. Now it's time for everyone to kick back, have some food, and relax for the night. We are back at the main house, and Howard is sitting in the living room, just kind of staring off in one direction. And Pearl comes back to the house, and this is his cue to stand up. 
we see that Pearl not only has makeup on, but she's put on a really nice dress. She's clearly trying to get Howard to sleep with her and, like, you know, be intimate. And he's like, we've talked about this. My heart can't take it. He's worried that if they go too far, he could end up having a heart attack and dying. This clearly makes Pearl very sad. She just wants to feel close to her husband. She wants to feel loved and desired, and she seems kind of heartbroken. We cut back to the boarding house, and Wayne is cooking dinner for everyone. They're all sitting around chatting, and so the living room set up, we've got Lorraine in her own chair and RJ in his own chair up against kind of this side wall. And then Bobby Lynn and Jackson are on one couch, and Maxine and Wayne are cuddling on the other couch. Lorraine is staring at Maxine, and Maxine's like, do you have a problem with me? Like, is there something you want to tell me? I don't know why you keep staring. And Lorraine looks really embarrassed, and then she says she does have a question. Lorraine says, isn't it strange watching her, meaning Maxine, doing it with him, meaning Jackson? And she asks this to Wayne. And Wayne's like, as long as there's a camera running. And Lorraine's like, okay, so the camera is what changes things. And RJ's like, Lorraine, it's just a movie. And she's like, well, I know that, but like, what about love? Do you guys believe in it? And Maxine's like, of course we believe in love. And they're having like a very, you know, adult conversation about this like no one's upset no one's yelling and maxine says letting outdated traditions control your life will get you nowhere and bobby lynn's like yeah i agree and maxine says it's just sex you decide who you love but not who you screw attractions are out of your control and it's not healthy keeping those feelings locked away bobby lynn's like yeah everyone likes sex it's a gas we're just not afraid to admit it queer straight black white it's all disco i fucking love bobby lynn's character she's so funny She's so great. I just love her. Then Bobby Lynn goes on to say, one day we're going to be too old to fuck. And life's too short, if you ask me. Everyone toasts to the perverts because the perverts are going to be the ones to make them rich. And Lorraine's like, I don't know if I agree with all of that, but I did like what I saw today. I didn't think I would, but I did. And they all cheers. Then we have this absolutely beautiful scene where Jackson pulls out an acoustic guitar and starts playing... And Bobby Lynn starts singing Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. It's absolutely beautiful. And we have all these cut scenes between our cast and crew is what we're going to call them. Um, And then Pearl. And, you know, it's talking about, you know, referencing that Pearl's not young anymore. And it's just beautiful parallels in this scene. And for a horror movie, it's one of my favorite scenes in the film. Britney Snow's voice is beautiful. And it's one of my, like, favorites. If I have it on in the background, I will stop what I'm doing to, like, watch that scene of them talking about growing older and us panning to Pearl and seeing, you know, her, you know, older, more frail body. And it's so good. Like, I love that scene so much. And then after the song ends, Lorraine out of the blue says, I want to do a scene in the movie. Everyone is shocked and RJ is also shocked and looks a bit upset. Lorraine reiterates that she wants to be in the movie and RJ very quickly says no. She says, why not? And he just chuckles and he just says, because no. And he's like, did you guys put her up to this? And everyone says no. Everyone's like, we didn't put her up to anything. And Lorraine says, nobody put me up to it. I've been thinking about it all day. While I'm young, if we really are making a good, dirty movie, I don't just want to carry the equipment. I want to be in it. RJ's like, you can't. And Lorraine says, says who? RJ says it's his film and it wouldn't make any sense. We've already shot half of it. And the story can't just change midway through. Lorraine looks confused and says, why not? And RJ says it just isn't done. Lorraine's like, well, they did it in Psycho and you love that movie. And RJ's even more upset. He's like, Psycho is a horror film and that plot was a MacGuffin to build suspense and that's not the kind of movie I'm making. 
And then she's like, well, no one's coming to see this film for the plot. They're coming to see tits and ass and a big dick. And everyone starts laughing. RJ is not happy with the conversation. And he's like, I'm making something better than that. And then Lorraine says the same line to him that he said in the beginning. She looks at him and she says, when did you become such a prude? Wayne can tell things are getting a little out of control. And he's like, look, I'm the executive producer, which means I get a say. So RJ lets you and I go talk outside. RJ is not having it. The two of them get outside and he's like, "We, you cannot let this happen. You've got to back me up. This is getting out of control really quickly. And Rain's like, look, if you push against it, it's only going to end up bad. She wants to do it. If you tell her no, she's going to go do it, whether you like it or not. And if you tell her no, she can end up doing it with somebody that you don't know, getting hurt. Like, hell, if she makes it big and she's good, she might take you with her. So maybe you should just consider it. Or you just let her get it out of her system now. RJ then calls Jackson a man whore. And Wayne's like, hey, he is a professional. He doesn't have any diseases. RJ's like, you don't get it. Lorraine's not like the others in there. She's a nice girl. And then Wayne gets a little offended. And he's like, well, what do you mean by that? And RJ's like, no, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it like that. And then Wayne leans in and says, now you listen. Ain't none of them are nice girls. And then he goes inside. We cut back to the house and we see that Maxine and Bobby Lynn are helping Lorraine get ready for her scene. Jackson's doing push-ups so he looks nice and, you know, jacked, swole, whatever you want to call it, for his version, for his side of the scene. And then we get this slow motion of RJ walking into the room and he just, he's dazed. He's out of it. He's like dissociating. Lorraine is set that this is what she's doing. She's got her hair done, her makeup looks cute, and we see her take off her crucifix necklace and set it aside. Wayne comes in and gives RJ the camera, and we see Jackson climb on the bed and Lorraine climb up top of him. We don't see any specific sex like we saw with Bobby Lynn and Maxine. Um, we just see her climb on top of Jackson. We hear moaning, and there's like slow-mo of her climbing on top of him. And then we cut back to the main house. Pearl wakes up from her sleep and everyone is in the boarding house asleep except for RJ. He's in the shower crying. RJ decides that he's done. He's leaving. He's like, fuck everyone. He's going to take the van and just leave everybody high and dry. He gets the keys. He leaves. The radio turns on and Fear the Reaper is playing. And you know it's about to be a good scene in a horror movie when Fear the Reaper starts playing. He goes to pull out of the driveway, but Pearl is standing right in front of him. He slams on the brakes, looks around, puts it in park, and then goes to check on Pearl. He goes up to her and asks if she's all right. He lightly touches her shoulder to get her attention. She turns toward him, and they're standing in front of the van in the headlights. And Pearl walks up to him and kind of tries to embrace him, and RJ looks confused. He's not sure what's going on. He even, like, questions. He's like, ma'am? She's got her arms around him, and then she tries to kiss him. He pulls away, and he's like, why did you do that? Like, he's clearly very confused. And she's like, I can show you what I'm capable of. And he's like, no, that's okay. You don't need to do that. And then she goes to take off her nightgown. And he's like, I don't want to see that. That's okay. Let's go find your husband. And then they're standing there. Pearl takes a knife that she's had behind her back and stabs it right into RJ's neck. He staggers back, falls in front of the van, and is currently bleeding pretty heavily. Pearl walks over to him, climbs on top of him, pulls the knife out, and starts stabbing him many, many times. And we see the headlights from the car like get shadowed with red blood and so then the whole scene kind of turns red it's it's really interesting and the whole time don't fear the reapers playing it's a really great scene as you like you're you're expecting something's gonna happen but you're not quite expecting that 
Pearl stands up and starts doing this little ballet number. Like, the music shifts from Don't Fear the Reaper to this ballet number. And then when she stops dancing, it goes back to Don't Fear the Reaper. Pearl then goes and shuts off the van. We cut to Lorraine, and she wakes up to find RJ gone. She goes out to look for him, and Wayne comes to see what she's doing. She asks Wayne to help her look. She's worried, but Wayne says that he's probably just clearing his head. Wayne points out that the van is still there, but Lorraine still asks him to help if if Wayne can also help her look for RJ. She's worried. She's really worried that she may have hurt him. She heads toward the main house, and Wayne agrees, and then he heads towards the barn. Lorraine runs into Howard when she gets close to the main house, and he says that his wife is missing. He says he's worried that she's going to fall and break her hip, and Lorraine says that she'll help him look. He brings Lorraine inside to get her a flashlight before the two of them go looking. In the barn, Wayne's trying to give RJ, if he's in the barn, a little pep talk. He's like, look, this isn't the way to go about things. He's walking around, and again, he's in his underwear. I don't think I said that in the beginning, but he's only in his tidy whities essentially. And then as he's walking through the, the barn, giving this little pep talk to the non-existent RJ, we see that there is a piece of wood on the ground with a nail sticking straight up. And of course, Wayne steps right on top of it. He goes down, he has to pull the nail out of his foot, and it just like it just makes your foot hurt just watching it. And as he's lying there in pain, one of the cows like moves. And he's like, oh, shut up, cheeseburger, go wander into traffic, which is such, I feel like, an underrated line in the film. I love it. Wayne calls out for RJ, and he's like, if you're in here, for Christ's sake, why don't you come help me? Like, what the hell? Wayne finally is able to get on his feet, and as he's looking around, there appears to be movement on the backside of the barn. There's, like, these kind of holes toward the bottom of the, like, the, um, back most exterior, or I guess interior wall, but... There's a shadow moving on the exterior. Wayne makes his way over because he's going to go look out the holes to see if, you know, RJ is back there. He bends down. He's eye level with these little holes. And then a pitchfork drives through the holes and impales Wayne in the eyes. Back up at the main house, Lorraine and Howard are getting ready to go searching. And Howard tells Lorraine that there's another light in the basement if she could go get it. Lorraine heads to the basement, makes her way down. Howard says the light is downstairs on his workbench. And I love this because it's one of my favorite transitions. So Lorraine goes, uh, and there's like a light bulb at the top of the stairs in the basement. And it's got one of those like string pulls. And so she goes to pull the string, but instead of getting the light bulb click, we get the squelching noise of the pitchfork being removed from Wayne's eyes. We like cut back to that really quick see the pitchfork being removed we get that sound and then we cut back to Lorraine my jaw dropped in the movie theater when I saw that scene I remember I think I went out and I like sent a voice message to my friends like I normally do when I you know see a movie and I'm recommending it to them um they they're a lot better with horror but they used to you know I used to have to kind of screen things I guess you could say and I'd be like okay this is really gory or like okay this is actually like pretty scary you may not want to watch this one by yourself in the dark um I'd kind of give them those little feedback pieces so what I think when I sent this I was like that's one of my favorite transitions that I've ever seen I was so excited and I was like when you go see it like look for the transitions let like you have to tell me if you found the same one that I did that was just absolutely amazing I still cannot get over how cool that transition is So back to the film, we see Pearl come into the barn in her little nightgown. It's covered in blood, and she uses the pitchfork to cover Wayne with some hay. 
Lorraine makes her way down in the basement and is looking for the workbench. She goes down, finds the light pretty easily, but when she turns on the flashlight and heads back upstairs, um, the door is shut and it's locked. She's yelling for Howard to let her out, and she was like, hey, I got locked in here. And we see it from inside the house um, that the cellar has two locks on the door. The basement has two locks on the door, and both have been locked, so it's clearly on purpose. Lorraine goes downstairs, back into the cellar, and she's now using the flashlight to try and look around, see what's going on, see if she can find another way out. She spots another light with a pull click. She clicks this one on, and then from behind Lorraine, she hasn't seen this yet, but we see that there's a man strung up in the basement, or the body of a man, he's dead, strung up in the basement, uh, pants around his ankles, most likely used for some sexual things before he passed. Lorraine finally turns around and sees this, and then we get the iconic scream from Jenna Ortega. She looks terrified, blood-curdling, terrified scream. It's amazing. We come back to the farmhouse and Jackson stirs a little. He sits up in bed and Bobby Lynn wakes up a little bit. He tells her that he thought he heard something, but it was probably nothing and she should just go back to bed. She whispers, aye, aye, captain, and then she lays back down. Jackson makes his way into the kitchen and he's wearing no clothes, like butt naked. Grabs milk out of the fridge, takes a big swig of it, and then we see on the back of the milk carton, there's a missing photo and it appears to be the man that is strung up in the basement. As Jackson's taking a drink, we see a flashlight move in the window, and Howard is making his way over to the farmhouse. Jackson goes and answers the door, again with no pants, and asks if something's the matter, and Howard says that his wife is missing. He explains that sometimes after dark, she gets confused, and he's really worried about her. Jackson notices the shotgun, and is like, that's a lot of firepower for a missing wife. And Howard's like, well, it's for the alligators. There's some by the water, and I've seen, I've caught her by the water a couple times, and I'm afraid that she may have fallen in, or maybe down there. Jackson offers to give him a hand to look for his wife. Howard nods, and Jackson's like, let me go get my skivvies. Jackson creeps in the room very quietly as to not wake Bobby Lynn, which I think is very sweet. He collects his clothes and then makes his way back out to assist Howard. We see Jackson leave the bedroom. We notice that Pearl is actually already inside the farmhouse. Pearl makes her way down the hall and goes into the room that Maxine is in. And of course, Maxine is in a bed by herself since Wayne is dead in the, the barn. We see that Maxine is fast asleep and Pearl decides to crawl into bed with Maxine and cuddle up to her. But before she does this, she takes off her nightgown. So she is completely nude. Maxine is only wearing her underwear and the two women are now curled up in bed together. Pearl is all bloody and she is getting blood all over Maxine. We cut back to Jackson and Howard at the pond and Jackson suggests that they split up and take half the pond and kind of meet in the middle to cover more ground quicker. And Howard says that he only has one light. Jackson explains that in his experience as a Marine, he spent a lot of time at night when he was in Vietnam in the dark looking for tripwires and landmines. So he's like, if she's out here, I'll find her. No worries. Now we see Jackson walking on his own around the pond looking for Pearl, and he comes across a car that is half sunk in the pond. Jackson continues to make his way around, and he goes towards the middle where he's supposed to meet with Howard. And he's like, yeah, I don't, I'm not seeing anyone. I don't know if she's down here. And then he sees that the light that Howard was carrying is in the water. He runs over to it. He thinks Howard may have fallen in the pond. He goes, grabs the light, is looking for Howard, can't find him. And as he makes his way out of the water, he runs into Howard. We go back to the basement and Lorraine is trying to get out the cellar door that leads to the yard. So it's got one of those like um, tornado, you know, like uh, Wizard of Oz, you know, like it's a, a little hatch area and you can get in you know, to the basement from the outside. She's trying to break that, but there we can see from the outside of the house that there is a giant chain on it. 
She goes to look for tools to try and break her way out. She picks up a hammer and then she settles on this little hand axe. She runs up the stairs and decides she's going to go for the door that will lead inside the house. Jackson gets the flashlight. Again, like I said, he ends up running into Howard and he gets a little scared. He's like, geez, pops, you scared me. And Howard says, once a Marine, always a Marine. And Jackson's like, you know, you, you know, your wife's not here. I, I, maybe we should go back up to the house and figure out what's going on. And Howard says, I can't give her what she wants anymore. Howard's like, you don't understand what it's like. You can still do as you please. And Jackson's really confused. Howard's like, the last guy who stayed here was the same, walking around with barely any clothes on, enticing my wife. Jackson's like, well, again, let's go back up to the house and figure out what's going on. But Howard already knows what's going on. He puts the shotgun up against Jackson's chest and fires the gun. Maxine and Pearl are snuggling in bed still, and Maxine starts to wake a little bit and realizes that she's lying next to Pearl. And of course, very validly, freaks out. Maxine screams. This wakes Bobby Lynn. Bobby goes to check to see what the fuck's going on. And as Bobby Lynn exits her room, we see Pearl shuffling down the hallway naked. Maxine is still screaming. Bobby Lynn goes to check on Maxine, and Maxine's like, that woman was in my bed touching me. We come back to Lorraine, and she's using the little hand hatchet, axe, whatever, to try and bust her way out of the cellar door. She's able to get one of the panels off and tries to reach for the locks, but as she's doing so, Howard comes back in and breaks her hand, which, like, and he doesn't just hit her hand once. He hits it a couple times. Her fingers are messed up. Her hand looks awful. Howard says that she's making things worse, and Lorraine starts screaming for someone to help her. Howard points the gun at her and tells her to get back in the cellar and keep quiet. Howard turns on the TV to drown out Lorraine's cries, and then he goes back outside. We see Maxine in the room doing a line of coke, trying to calm herself down, and Bobby Lynn is trying to find Jackson and Wayne, because right now it's only Bobby Lynn and Maxine at the farmhouse. Bobby Lynn's got this little blanket over her shoulders, and she makes her way to the pond. She finds Pearl, a still naked, and she goes to help her, and she's like, ma'am, like, please get away from there. It's not safe. She drapes the blanket over Pearl's shoulders, and she's like, it's okay. Like, my Nana gets confused sometimes. I've learned all about it. We'll get you back. Like, she even checks her. She's like, are you hurt? Are you okay? And then Pearl smacks Bobby Lynn across the face. Pearl's like, why should you get to have it all when all you've done is be a whore? And Bobby Lynn's like, you know what? If you don't want my help, that's fine. I was just trying to be nice. She goes to leave, but Pearl kind of blocks the way. They're like now on the dock and Bobby Lynn is closest to the end of the dock. And so Pearl blocks her from leaving. And she's like, you shouldn't get to flaunt it in my face like you do. And Bobby Lynn's like, just because you didn't live the life you wanted doesn't mean that's my fault. Now please move out of my way. Bobby Lynn goes to call Pearl a bitch. Pearl pushes her in the water. And then the alligator comes and grabs Bobby Lynn by the head and pull her under the water. Howard comes up next to Pearl on the dock and we see that the water's all bloody and bubbling and then it gets less and less until it stops altogether as Bobby Lynn is officially finished off. Howard asks Pearl if that was the one and Pearl says, you know I don't like blondes and she walks off. Maxine is back at the farmhouse and she's scrubbing, trying to scrub all the blood off of her body where Pearl was touching her. She starts checking the rest of the house, trying to find everyone else, but of course the house is empty. She hears Howard and Pearl making their way back to the farmhouse, so she goes back into the bedroom and hides under the bed. Pearl and Howard come back in the house. They go into the same bedroom that Maxine is in and sit on the bed. They're talking. Pearl just wants to feel young again. She wants to feel wanted by Howard, but he's still worried that his heart isn't going to be able to take having sex with her. And she's like, it'll be fine. Like, you can handle it. 
they end up having sex and Maxine is still hiding under the bed that they're having sex on. While the two are having sex, Maxine is able to quietly drag herself out from under the bed and drag herself across the floor out of the room. She makes her way up to the main house. She goes straight for the van, but then she sees that the van has a flat tire, and then she also sees RJ dead in front of the van. Maxine then hears Lorraine screaming inside the house. She goes into the van, grabs the gun from the glove box, and then makes her way inside the house. Maxine gets inside, starts looking around for Lorraine. As she's letting her out, Maxine tells Lorraine to be quiet, and Lorraine's like, don't tell me what to do. These old people are fucking crazy. I've got to get out of here. And Maxine's like, we need to find the keys to the truck. And then Lorraine tells Maxine that it's all her fault. Maxine's like, no, look, we have to stick together. And Lorraine's like, I hate you. I hate all of you. Lorraine goes to run out of the house. And as she like runs and like passes the threshold of the front door, she's blasted with a shotgun and she like flies off of her feet and slams on the ground. And Howard's like, I fucking told her to stay in the cellar. Pearl's like, that's fine. We don't need her now. We have each other. And Howard then asks Pearl to help him drag Lorraine's body into the house. He's like, if she's in the house, it'll be self-defense. That's the law. Howard says they need to be smart about this, and tomorrow they'll dump the body in the pond with the others. Maxine makes sure that the safety is off the gun, and she's basically going to try and fight her way out now, it looks like. Howard's in the process of dragging Lorraine's body into the house, and we see that she's missing about half of her face. Howard makes the comment that she's heavier than she looks, and as he's dragging her body, it's a little too much physical activity for him, especially after having sex. He has a heart attack, falls against the wall, and is pretty much gone just like that. Pearl is freaking out, calling his name, and this is when Maxine decides she's going to make her move. She comes out holding the gun and demands the keys to the truck. Pearl says that Howard needs help and that he's having a heart attack, and Maxine's like, that's not my problem. Maxine gets the keys to the truck, and as the scene goes on, we see that the evangelical preacher on the TV is talking about needing to take control of your own life, and Pearl says, I saw what you guys were doing in the barn. You're a little deviant whore. You and I are the same, meaning, you know, they're both sinners. And Pearl's like, you'll end up just like me. And Maxine's like, I'm nothing like you. You're a kidnapping, murdering sex fiend. And I'm a fucking star. The whole world's going to know my name. And then we hear Maxine say the line that she says early in the film, I will not accept a life I do not deserve. And at the same time she says it, the evangelical preacher is telling everyone to say that with him. Everyone at the same time says, I will not accept a life I do not deserve. This is a big hint to Maxine's past or where she came from. Maxine tells Pearl to stop staring at her, and then she goes to fire the gun. But like Wayne said in the beginning, he doesn't keep it loaded. It's just to scare people off. Pearl goes for the shotgun, picks it up, aims it at Maxine, and fires. Maxine's able to jump out of the way, but the kickback from the gun literally blasts Pearl out of the front door and off the porch. We get the preacher man on television saying, now that's what I call divine intervention. That's another one of my favorite scenes because it's timed so perfectly. I mean, that was the whole point, but it's it's too good. I love it. It seems like Pearl's broken her hip. She's unable to get back up. Maxine takes the truck keys, gets in the truck, backs over the top of Pearl, and then goes forward and runs over her a second time. We see Maxine drive away from the truck, and there's a little Jesus like hanging on the cross in the rearview mirror. Maxine takes another hit of cocaine as she drives away. And then she says, praise the fucking Lord. She exits the property, gets on the main road, and we see her drive into the distance toward the sunrise. Then we hear the preacher say, it's my own hope through my admission others may find the light. I want to show you all something. And he unveils a picture of young Maxine. 
he says, there she is, my beautiful little daughter, Maxine. Lord, into a life of sin by the very deviance we warn of here on a daily basis. From our loving homes and into the hands of devils, we pray one day she'll find her way home to us. We got back to the house with the police officers. They're trying to figure out what happened here at the farmhouse. And one of the officers asks the sheriff what he think happened. And he goes, how the hell should I know? Another officer then comes up and says, hey, boss, you're going to want to take a look at this. And it's Archie's camera. He asks the sheriff what he thinks is on it, and the sheriff says, well, by the looks of things, I'd say one goddamn fucked up horror picture. And that is the end of X. I I can't say enough good things about this one. I could watch this all the time. If you haven't seen it, you gotta go check out X. Uh, it's just, it's so, it's so beautiful. It's so good. The cast is amazing. The soundtrack's great. There's some really great camera work and scene setup, the set design, all of it. 10 out of 10, high rewatchability for me. I, yeah, this one better become a classic. Like, it's so flawless. Um, But I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please give the podcast a like and follow on whatever platform you listen to. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to check out the podcast on socials, I have the podcast on Instagram and Twitter under M Murder Movies. So that's M as in Massacre, Murder Movies on Instagram and Twitter. I also recently started a YouTube channel, which has been really fun. Um, I basically just play a bunch of spooky games and the channel is called Megan's Murder Games. So spelled exactly like Megan's Murder Movies, um, just replaced uh, movies with games. And so feel free to check that out. I'll have that linked in the show notes below if you're interested along with the social media. And I hope that you have a lovely week or weekend whenever you're listening to this. I will see you next week when we dive into the 2013 Evil Dead. Very pumped to jump into that. Evil Dead has been a very hot topic with Evil Dead Rise being released um, earlier this year and then most recently being put on streaming. Uh, and so I can't wait to jump into that. That was uh, one of the f- the only Evil Deads that I was able to see in theaters uh, before Evil Dead Rise. Uh, so I have a, a strong connection to that. It was one of the first horror movies that I was actually able to see growing up in theaters. So yeah, or one of the few, not one of the first, but one of the few horror movies that I was able to see. Uh, my parents were able to take me to since my younger brother was not into horror. Uh, but again, I can't wait to be back chatting with you about all the spooky stuff next week. So have a great week or weekend whenever you're listening to this and remember to stay safe and stay spooky.